Welcome back to Inside the Loop, the podcast about all things tech in the great city of Chicago, Illinois. Today we have a very exciting episode, one that I've personally been looking forward to for a while. Uh, we have Landon Campbell. Landon is the general manager at Drive Capital. He's also the founder of the podcast In Their 20s. Uh, Landon, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Excited to host you guys as well here. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is the first time we've actually taken the podcast on the road. Do you want to give a shout out to whose office we're in? Yeah, we're in the hologram office. Um, that is one of our investments. And uh, it's been sort of the temporary office for uh, Drive Chicago until our new office opens. Um, I don't know when this episode's getting posted, but we'll be moving in next Friday. Really excited about that. Amazing. Well, we're also in a very beautiful building in space right now. So thanks for having us. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be really looking forward to the meetups uh, and the hangouts are going to be. You know, they're going to be big, man. And if you guys ever want to record, Episodes there, like just let me know. All right, you heard it here yeah. first. <laughs> no, no, it's we'll on the record. You it's on, on the record. On the record. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, you've accomplished a lot within a short amount of time. Uh, please share with us like your background and your story about how you got to be the, the Chicago general manager of Drive Capital. Sure. Yeah, from California originally. Um, I am a Chicago transplant, not from here. Um, moved here in 2016 to go to DePaul University. Um, studied public relations and advertisement, but, you know, didn't know if that was for sure the area I wanted to spend my life in, you know, sort of professional career in. Um, so just started working at a lot of different companies while I was in college, um, mainly as an intern. Um, so I ended up graduating with 10 internships. I love talking about three of them though, um, because they're really like iconic to Chicago companies for different reasons. Uh, the first being the Tribune. Had a chance to work at this, you know, large media company. Focus on advertisement, sales, um, and it was great to, you know, literally the last day at the Tribune was Rom Emanuel's last day in office too. So I remember meeting him. He wow. came by and spoke Amazing. with the editor in chief. I didn't sneak into that room, but I had a chance. I think I was kind of invited, but you know, uh, air quotes. Um, so that was a fun time. Worked at Motorola Solutions, which. Um, one of the largest and first, you could argue, one of the first large tech companies in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and they, over the last decade, had this really big push to recruit more Gen Zs, more young people. Mm. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but they're originally, um, their HQ was in Schaumburg. And a lot of young people, I don't know, <laughs> they weren't trying to commute to Schaumburg. Not trying yeah. to Schaumburg yeah. So they moved um, over to, not the West Loop, but um, a few blocks over from where we're at currently. Yeah. Um, I started there as an intern, worked there full time. Um, spent my career in sales, government sales. I really recommend every young person starts their career in sales um, to understand like the importance of storytelling. And it was nice to be able to see two sides of the spectrum. I mean, speak with customers about their challenges, what they're looking for in our products, but then also be able to become that product expert, speak with the engineers at Motorola, um, you know, the product leads to better understand like how to sell um, those said product. So Motorola, like love the team there, love the company culture. Um, you know, I, I knew like pretty early on though, like big company, probably not for me. Yeah. Um, but still like, I think a lot of people are only trying to find the things they want to do. Like, how about you try and figure out what you don't want to do too? And I did that by having all these internships. And the final one was with Cameo. Um, I worked there originally as an intern, um, turned to sort of this longer extension of an internship. Um, started as a three month thing, went to like 11 because it went into the pandemic. They needed extra arms and legs. And I guess I was doing something good. So had a lot of roles there. Um, started as a talent acquisition. So I was like bringing the celebrities on the platform, um, worked operations, helped develop a thing very similar to like the Spotify wrapped. We had this yearly business review for Cameo talent. 
um, to like help them understand how much money they were making from the platform, um, the impact of their cameos. So that was a lot of fun. Customer support. I did that there for a little bit. Um, didn't love it, uh, but you know, it was still great to, um, you know, get those emails from angry customers like, Hey, this cameo sucked. I need you to reach out to Charlie Sheen and tell him to redo it. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of crazy. Um, was that your first startup experience right there? Yeah, that was my first startup experience. And obviously we know what cameo would become and what it is today. But like, I was there sort of like right before that meteoric rise. So like we started in 1871, I got in with cameo, like right when they moved, um, and just to see like the growth in such a short period of time. But then also like there were a lot of dark days too. I mean, there were a lot of ups <laughs> and downs. Um, you know, I, I obviously stuck around cause I was an intern, but I mean, to witness a lot of the layoffs they had to go through, you know, in my time, but then also like reaching these crazy, um, you know, GMV values and hitting these milestones. Like it was cool. It was cool to be yeah. able to contribute to that. Um, but I, I remember like, um, you know, seeing, we spoke briefly off air about Ezra from starting line. I remember yeah. having him come to the office and Chicago ventures. A lot of these investors would come by the office and I kind of, I was, I became very curious about their roles, um, and the value they give to founders and just the idea of, you know, what it means to invest and be a capital allocator. And that's sort of my time at Cameo really opened my eyes to this space. And I, it was there when I started to like be a little strategic about, okay, like, how do I become an investor? Um, because yeah. I love entrepreneurship and I'm a builder at heart, but um, what I, one of the first questions I ask my founders and founders that are pitching me, like, could you spend 10 years on this? Why would you spend 10 years on this or more? Like a lot of times <laughs> it's, it's not a, as easy as people think. Like, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the life of a founder is not this sexy thing. I mean, it's very hard, uh, very difficult. And we want founders personally at Drive that can run through walls, you know, get through a lot of those um, dark days. But all in all, you have to be obsessed with one thing. You need extreme focus. Um, and I just haven't found that idea yet. That, like that one thing that I, you know, could see myself doing for 10, 20 plus years. But call it my ADHD. I love like multiple industries. I love, you know, just seeing multiple things going on. And yeah. like, that's why I'm obsessed with what I do today. It's a lot of fun. So that, that, I think that's a really important theme that I want to dig a little bit more into because realistic life, you know, experiences those, that preview into the kind of work that you want to be doing, yeah. I think is often missing from a lot of entrepreneurs. Aviv, who is on our yeah. last episode, you know, when we were chatting with him on there, he, he showed, shared with us the term entrepreneur. Yeah. There's so <laughs> much, there's so much status out there that is currently associated with totally. being hip and cool and mm-hmm. being an sure. entrepreneur. And you knew out the gate, like maybe there's a different path for me to be tangential to this. How does that go into your conversations that you have with potential founders that may be young and hungry yeah. and have great ideas, but just aren't ready yet? Yeah, great question. Because I, I see this in multiple ways. Like I think entrepreneurship needs to be like a cool thing. Like I want more people, um, you know, people that look like me, younger students, for example, like black and brown folks. Like I, I want more people to find the path of entrepreneurship and want to pursue that, even though it's a long-term thing. Like we do need to kind of rebrand what it means to be a founder and make it look like a cool thing because it is a cool thing. That is hard, but I don't know. I I feel like I just, I want to see more innovation. I want to see more entrepreneurs, but at the same time, um, you you need to become an entrepreneur for the right reasons. Um, So we, we talk a lot about like founder market fit. I look 
for the most part, for in, at least looking at the makeup of the current um, Chicago portfolio, like, you know, I tend to look at a lot of younger founders, you know, Gen Z founders, and I don't need people who have been doing this or doing like a, working in a specific industry for like 20, 30, 40 years. Like that doesn't exactly um, equate to founder market fit, but it's back, it goes back to that story that we were just talking about. Like, how do you kind of look at your past experiences and how do you clearly communicate that you're the one person that should and can and you know, will build this one thing? Like, why are you the go-to person? Why are you the expert? Um, what are your, you know, unique experiences in a given space? My first investment in Chicago, like, um, is a company called Jupiter, and uh, they're helping people combat against long COVID, this crazy thing that's affected mm. already. Uh, I mean, people are saying, like, over 23 million people in the U.S. It's going to do <laughs> terrible um, stuff to our economy. Um, but there's so much uncertainty about it. Um, but to my point with those founders, like, you know, Alex had spent, um, you know, time as an intern at a long COVID facility. So not to say like, you know, he, we weren't looking for someone who had like 30 years healthcare experience, but this very unique experience that he was able to really articulate and, um, you know, tell us about and talk about, you know, what gaps he noticed in the space, you know, what clinics weren't doing right and what access to information patients were looking for. Like it goes back to the storytelling abilities that really sold it to us. Um, and you know, his passion, his vision. So yeah, I, I, I want this on my tombstone. Like I want founders to be way more intentional about how they tell their stories. Um, because your story is going to unlock those three famous things, money, capital, um, it's going to unlock users, customers, but then also, um, you know, what a lot of people forget and tend to forget about, it's going to unlock colleagues and, you know, um, people that you need to hire. Like, you're convincing people to leave a very comfortable life to join you on your vision, your startup, um, your rocket ship before it's a rocket ship. So uh, that's why like your storytelling abilities is so important. And it's all connected to like your past experiences. Yeah. I think something that you said that I personally resonate with, and I think the others guys will as well is like, I personally think and not to be like this older dude giving advice to young people. Like I think everyone should start their job careers out in like some sort of corporate environment of yeah, some kind. Totally. I think going like directly from school to, to uh, a startup environment might not be the best. Cause you actually learn, even if it's not the right thing for you, yep. you end up learning certain like processes and just like how to kind of make things happen. Right. At certain corporate kind of environments. Totally. And then taking that to a startup or starting your own company, I think is super useful. I think that's what we all, we all had kind of had that background and then we went to the startup world. Yep. And I personally found that to be super helpful. I was like, okay, like going into a world where there's no structure, coming in with some structure background helps you a lot. And yes. to your point, as even a like, leader, the, like oh, yeah, as yeah. a leader, and then even the storytelling to your point. So I do mm -hmm. think sales is critical for sure, especially totally. at the earliest stages of a company. I mean, yeah. we were just talking before this about another startup founder and like the pitch right now for them to raise money, they got their seed round and it's, it's, you know, it's all about the story at that stage. Yep. So one, one of the things that I actually want to ask and get your opinion on and <clears throat> something that we talk about a bit is like Chicago has all the right re ingredients to be like a great tech ecosystem. Yeah. But one of the things that I think we don't have that some other markets that are maybe similar in size. Um, one of the things that we don't have that some of them do is just this like blind self-belief in our ability to, XYZ, yep. right? Build a giant thing, whatever right. it is, right? And and that's we've identified that as it being a key difference between like us and Silicon Valley or uh -huh. us and other pure markets. And you're I think to your point, it comes down to part of it is the storytelling. Yes. Right. It's it can be how you build a product or what type of product you choose to build, but overwhelmingly it comes back back to like storytelling. Yep. So I guess 
you know, I think that your message is maybe particularly relevant for folks in Chicago. My question to you is like, have you, when you've looked at other markets, seen a difference like that? And then how do you think about, or what's the biggest hurdle that maybe you run into talking to Chicago-based founders about, or Midwestern-based founders about how to tell their story? Yeah, you know, a, a big thing that I believe in is that like in order to become successful, you need to see success. So a big part of my brand is like, you know, helping founders think bigger. Like, I don't just want founders that are out here trying to build the biggest company in Chicago. Like, why can't you build the biggest company in the U.S. or the biggest company in the world? Um, so, yes, in a lot of these ecosystems, um, and specifically, um, you know, that's what the four ecosystems that we um, launched these seed programs have in common. Where in Toronto, you have something called a um, Canadian home run. Where mm-hmm. it, I don't think it's a thing where, like, people are giving up too early. I just think, like, they, they, they're, they're just not thinking big enough. Like, in... Until someone's waving a check of, you know, 10, 15 mil in my face, like I, I might change my thoughts on that. But I, I think like still like it, you should not every company is going to be the biggest company in the world. But I mean, if you are building, um, you know, in a massive market, you're solving a massive problem. Like, I just think like, why not go all in? Like, why not try and build something that outlasts you? Um, something that's going to really create those strong ripple effects, create and contribute to um, your local ecosystem, your economy, create more jobs, um, and really, you know, serve as um, a resource to those other founders that want to launch something themselves in the future. Like they can then say, "Oh wow, company X Y Z that this person launched, like he went on to build a unicorn, or you know, hopefully we get decacorns one day in right. Chicago, like something massive." Um, I I just think like you look at the Apples, the Googles, like the you know a lot of these large companies that we use every single day. Um, you know, th- those founders never wanted to give up. They never wanted to sell early. They just wanted to keep going, keep going. Um, and I think like that needs to sort of be the mindset shift. And it's easier in these other ecosystems when you have the Apples and Googles like right next door. You can, you can see what success looks like. Um, so I, I am like very, um, I'm convinced that we're going to get there though. And that, that's why like we targeted um, just some context for listeners and for you guys, we have this new $80 million, um, seed effort. We're going super early. That's something that's congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We're really excited. We've been working on it since, I mean, for a few months now, but it's, it's always great to make an announcement and have people, you know, light up your inbox. Um, you know, my email is a mess right now, but, um, you know, we, we chose to do this in Chicago, um, Toronto, Denver, and Atlanta. We were very, um, specific about, you know, which cities we chose uh, when looking at the data, like we looked at companies that had raised a seed round um, and went on to raise two rounds um, after um, to really just point to the fact that like, you know, these are healthy ecosystems that, you know, have companies um, that have been able to raise capital. But what if we were to go a little earlier, like right. idea on napkin pre-seed, um, kind of get in with these companies, help keep them here because we're losing a lot of founders to these other, you know, ecosystems on the coast. Um, what if we were able to go earlier, give more founders a shot um, to put points on the board? Um, you know, it's been proven that by partnering with high quality investors on day zero, like you can really build a high quality company. So that was sort of the, um, you know, the, the vision. And we, we didn't go with Miami. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in Miami. It's fun, but I'm rolling my eyes right now. Um, and Austin. Watch out, Keith Raboy might come for you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> just don't tweet anything yeah. about Miami. Oh, hang on. He Keith. just tweeted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've met I Keith. He's really nice. Um, so hopefully uh, he remembers me. Um, and then Austin um, is a really cool ecosystem. But when we really looked at the um, numbers, 
we actually saw um, that most companies um, in Austin, like they're headquartered in Austin, yeah. but they're based in the Bay for like tax reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like we, we kind of looked at that and said, okay, maybe Austin's not the right time to explore, not the right time to explore Austin, but we're really bullish on these four ecosystems. Like I'm here at Boots on the Ground in Chicago, so I'm especially super stoked about what we're doing. But um, same with Toronto, Denver, and Atlanta. I think we're really about to cook some really special And is the out. idea to invest specifically in these cities with the kind of focus there? I know you like. there's a lot of funds that are, hey, we're Midwest-focused or Chicago-focused. Yes, we're yeah, not yeah. actually investing entirely in Chicago. Or so we have amazing founders in Chicago um, that I'm continuing to meet with like that. And we're offices in Chicago. Like it's yeah. a Chicago pre-seed fund. Um, but... I want Chicago to be, you know, rebrand. Like I want people to look at Chicago the same way they look at these other ecosystems where they say, wow, like, yeah, why wouldn't I build in Chicago? Like, yep. um, you know, the abundance of talent, the local resources, um, now early stage capital, um, you know, a, a tier one firm such as us and the, also amazing firms um, that are already in the city. Like I want people to look at Chicago and even not in Chicago, like these other cities and states and come here so you know we mentioned briefly the company that just relocated from boston like it's a big win like you know we're yeah yeah pulling you know companies from other cities and people are starting to see how cool chicago is so So, how long do you think that transformation takes because like i went to grad school here in 2008 and it was yeah it was very different it it was very different market right (laughs) it was is chicago going to be another failing rust belt town the building we're in and the surrounding buildings around buildings around us did not exist to that this was there yeah. was publican and nothing else was in the literally right. it was all yeah. i remember yeah. so like what's your time horizon on this today yesterday hopefully <laughs> let's go okay. i mean dude i that's why so many of us you guys in this room like yeah. you know we're working our asses off to see this city transform um sure you know you think like an exit or two could contribute to that um and you know more money like even you know um you know on a, let's let's see how involved you know like the local government and um you know state can get uh when with keeping founders here as well as other ecosystems have been able to do but when it comes down to it like i'm i'm bullish on chicago today and the future of chicago um but it starts today so um, i'm excited about the three we have so far but we're looking for more and we're going to continue to grow this out and um hopefully really positively contribute to the future of the ecosystem as so many other people are in chicago like there's i i know we've seen like these you know sort of like waves in the past i haven't really experienced one personally because i came here in 2016 and still fairly new to tech and venture but um from what i hear from a lot of other people in chicago like this one feels different you know so i think we just got to continue to keep the sorry for the car pun but foot on the gas and um you know really drive ahead (laughs) Yeah. Last one was forced, but the, what yeah, yeah, the drive ahead, <laughs> yeah, drive yeah, capital. No. I don't know. So, no, I mean, you're talking to the the guys that believe every. I mean, we're we're, yeah, we're clearly aligned. You. Yeah, yeah, we're clearly very aligned, and we need exactly what you're doing. We need that earlier stage capital. It's something we've talked about numerous times now. Around like that's what we need to get people excited, and we also want Chicago to become that place that yeah. others from SF, New York, wherever start thinking more, hey, I can come start a company here. Totally. One, of, one of the other things I'm curious to get your perspective on, you know, we talk a lot about early stage risk capital in Chicago and maybe the fact that there's a lack of it. Obviously, folks like Drive and um, there are a number of other sort of funds in the city that are focused on this as well. Yeah. When I've talked to other capital allocators in Chicago at that stage, one of the things that they say is almost 
you know, founders are reticent to take as much capital as maybe a comparable company would take mm. in another market, which I think goes hand in hand also, by the way, with that storytelling piece, right? Yep. Because if you're painting a bigger picture, maybe you get a bigger valuation, right. maybe you're able to raise a bigger round with less dilution. Have you guys run into that at all? And is that something that you try to work on with founders at the yeah. early stages? We're, so we're transparent um, sort of at the front end about our terms. And every company that we invest in is getting standard terms, mm-hmm. um, which I'm comfortable sharing on <laughs> um, the episode today. We're investing half a million dollars five percent um and then every company that we invest in sort of goes into this zero to one um program yeah uh to help get them venture ready um so yeah i mean valuation slash you know like how much you can get um in the future like that that's going to be more relevant at the next round um for this pre-seed like my specific focus and our platform invests pre-product, pre-revenue now, all the way to pre-IPO, mm-hmm. all the other stuff. I mean, you know, um, we have other people at the firm that handle that. But for my focus, like, it's standard, and we're, we're very upfront about that. Cool. So looking at the macroeconomic environment, right, data came out from Carta that seed and pre-seed investing is down 85%, trailing 12 months over the prior year. Yeah. Where where is the interesting opportunities for you right now? Where are you looking to deploy capital? Yeah, um, in what areas specifically, like industries or just in general, like stage wise? Stage wise, yeah. industries, personality types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start with car um, drive, cars they drive. Totally, yeah, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> uh, that is important. Specifically EVs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with stage type, that's such an interesting co- uh, question because I think like you can make an argument that like. At any time is the perfect time to build a company, but then also there's always going to be like negative press about like you know market uncertainty. Um, this firm's doing this, that firm's doing that. At Drive, like we don't really care what other firms are doing. Like we know what, what we're doing. We see an opportunity to strike at the early stage, support early stage founders. Maybe a huge um, element of that is because you know yeah, less firms are looking at early stage, but like. That that's been our culture since day one. You know, like there were so many firms. Well, I'll give some deeper context. Our founders are former Sequoia guys, and it's a time where no one on the coast were looking at the Midwest. Like it was almost laughable. Like you know, you got to invest like over here in the Bay, Silicon Valley. Like great companies cannot be built in these other regions. So already before we started, we had that different mindset of like, okay, everyone's doing that. Like. We're going to have this contrarian view. Like, like, no, they're missing out on so many opportunities. You know what? We're going to build this firm in Columbus, Ohio, and prove everybody wrong. And, you know, at the time, we were the largest um, first-time fund in history. And, you know, we built pretty large, um, uh, you know, AUM um, over our four funds. So my point is, like, yes, you don't have to be naive. Like, we're, we're always looking at the market. Like, we're looking at and, you know, reading and understanding, you know, what's going on. But... We're not, we're not going to let what another firm is doing or not doing kind of like change like, you know, what we see an opportunity to be. And we we wanted to invest early. Um, you know, we want to support these founders on day zero. And that's what we went on to do. As for like industry, um, there are like, I don't, I don't even know the specific number, but there's sort of like over 50 themes that we look at at Drive. Um, we're what's called like a thematic firm. So Every quarter, um, from partner to general partner, everybody at the firm like picks a new area of interest, um, sort of a macro level trend that they're interested in. You know, whether it's AI transformation, EVs, um, creator economy, um, 
mine right now that I'm looking at is like, you know, creator AI tools um, yeah. in like this next level wave of the creator economy. Um, and for quarter plus, you know, we are spending time diving into that industry, building market maps, really paint a picture of like the companies that exist. And this is before like we start making investments in that space. So we're looking at like, yes, companies that we could invest in all the way to we try and get in the door with public companies just to like hear the perspective of the founders, CEOs, like how they see the market, how they view it, what features are most important to users, their competition. Um, but after like we have this beautiful market map, we start to really see what's missing, what people aren't paying attention to. Um, and that's just extra value that we give to founders. We know these spaces so well. We're connected in these spaces. We know like how they're changing. Um, I know this is a long-winded answer, but I'm most interested right now in generative AI, healthcare, creator tech, future of work. But we're investing like in, in a wide array of themes, um, and I, each partner has um, large Rolodex of these different themes that they good at. That's really cool that you guys have. It's almost like you have maybe geographic focuses as well as thematic focuses. Yes. And so I guess my question is sort of like, okay, let's say that you find a great creator economy business, but it's based in Atlanta or Denver or Toronto. Like, how do you guys think about that as a firm? Do you then just partner up with the local partner in that, that geo to, to go and sort of meet the founders and talk to those folks? Or like, how do you guys think about that from a, you know, team building or relational perspective? Totally. Well, if it's a specific one, like the creator economy, I'd hope they relocate here because, you know, <laughs> they could totally, um, tap into my network and have my resources yeah, yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, my input, but yes. Yeah. To answer your question, like, that's where we would get like that partner, that GM, like whoever is that go-to person in that space, like heavily involved um, because we want to be hands-on and we are hands-on like for this um, program. That's why we have founders relocating. It's a hands-on experience where, um, you know, a lot of people are always asking like, what is the role of a GM? And because it's not like a common thing that like right. I think I've ever heard of at a venture firm. Um, but I really like, um, I'm from Oakland, so I kind of like to um, relate it to Moneyball. Like, yeah. you know, you guys familiar with Moneyball? Yeah. Billy yeah. Bean, like one of the most iconic GMs in history. Like it, it really is someone that is boots on the ground, like very involved, um, able to source talent, um, find talent in places that are very difficult to find. And like those talent slash founders like might not even see the big things that, you know, they could accomplish, but like helping like build the um, environments around them to be the most successful. So that, that's really my role, um, not just to fund these companies, but to be like a friend, a confidant, a therapist, a dot connector. Like I can help with hiring. I can help with go to market, um, you know person at the firm has this experience they can help with like we we really um yeah we're just super involved and i think um before i even got into this space like having the opportunity to meet with so many venture capitalists that i've brought on through my podcast like i ha i've had a bunch on in their 20s my main show but then also i had a show for a little under a year called venturing in vc where it was literally just focused on vc and i would have a new investor for a live show on every single week and um, just to hear like from the best of the best about like what value they provide to founders, what they do, but then also, and we'll, we'll never name names, but to kind of see some investors maybe not doing it so right and like, right. maybe not doing as much as they could, um, you know, um, that kind of allowed me to start to build a persona of like what I wanted to do in this space. And, you know, what I do as a GM is different than, you know, what other 
people do and for better or for worse. But I mean, it works for me and the founders that I work with so far, like appreciate the support, but I, I do like being very hands-on. Like I, and as even with sourcing, like, you know, we don't even have a way to really apply for like this program. Like I'm, I like hosting events, building community, bringing people together slash like always like I travel a lot to these different universities, um, which I'm really excited about, like, especially in Illinois specifically, um, just seeing like the growth. You, you asked me about like, you know, recent catalysts. I think um, these universities are investing heavily into like, um, you know, wet labs, incubators, entrepreneurial resources. Illinois um, universities in general, I think from like 2016 to 2020, raised I think 9 billion um, or like alumni, I should say, um, from those universities. So I'm really bullish on the idea that like that's going to hopefully, you know, double, triple over the next few years um, because these universities, administration I'm talking about, like are really involved in um, giving these students earlier resources um, to, you know, understand like how to build a future venture backed company. And then that's where we come in and, you know, can actually deploy capital to these students. So I've, I've gotten a lot of luck um, from like visiting these universities. And I think like, um, yeah, just being very intentional with like where you search is, you know, served me well. And every, every founder we've invested in so far in Chicago, like Gen Z, we've, we've met somehow through like university, like, you know, or their recent grads. So I think there's a huge opportunity there. So you are a self-proclaimed Gen Z VC. Yes. You are, you're sitting with three squarely defined millennials. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis on square. Squarely <laughs> three, three square millennials. Yeah. Um, talk to us about why that voice is important and, and, you know, why it's important for you to bring that to the table of VC. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think about some of the coolest companies that have been started, you know, over the past 20, 25 years of like, you know, this new tech and, um, renaissance and if you just look at the data and numbers like a lot of those founders were not gen z's but i mean you know in their early 20s themselves you know the zuckerberg i know everybody hates zuckerberg he says I, I i still respect zuckerberg but well we just uh, got a big win by the way with the zuckerberg family right chicago oh my gosh yeah, yeah that, was, that was huge yeah Massive. so thanks yes yeah. <laughs> um no th that was amazing 250 million yeah. specifically for biotech and uh, connected with those universities. So I that's what I was going to say. So yep. just not to, to cut you off, but like, um, so that $250 million is for a bio like hub or like a facility. biotech hub um, yeah. slash facility um, in Northwestern. I think this actually connects a lot with uh, the question. And because um, yeah. yeah, Northwestern, um, U Chicago, UIUC, um, you know, this is for their students. Yeah. Zuckerberg, you know, early 20 somethings founder at the time who like, you know, went on to create um, <laughs> like, the, one of the most innovative things that like it's really changed the course of history um, and how we talk to each other and communicate today. He understands the importance of like finding, sourcing, and looking at young talent. Um, mm. So I think that uh, that was a big move. Why um, you know we're going to see much more innovation uh, at the bio, at the university level um, for biotech. But um, yeah, all, all that to say, like in order to find and continue to find those you know ambitious optimistic, you know, young founders. And not to say I'm just looking at Gen Z founders too, but I mean, I think like um, in order to find those, we do need more check writers in the room who are, you know, Gen Zs and of that same demographic um, who like are keeping up with these unique trends. And again, not to say like you guys aren't keeping up with cool trends, but I think like um, the input, you know, having, um, you know, young investors, same for like, we need more black and brown and women check writers in these rooms. Like yeah. 
It's the same thing. Cause I think like, um, looking at like, and not every investor, I'm not grouping everybody up, but a lot of times, you know, and this is a huge complaint of Silicon Valley. Like you invest in what, you know, you invest in like, what looks like you, you invest in like your network. And I think investors need to do a better job at like, you know, being more intentional with, you know, really getting out of those echo chambers, like, you know, looking at these different communities. And I think a big part of that is by having like, you know, um, also um, diverse, different check writers in those rooms as well, who can be decision makers um, and, uh, you know, or have access to these different communities, different networks. Um, and I, yeah, looking back at my time at Motorola, I think Motorola did that very well. Like, um, we, we, as a company, like had some pretty good diversity numbers and I was pretty close with like the recruiter for some reason. And I was just curious, like, like how are all these black and brown folks like finding out about Motorola? Yeah. And she was like, no, it's the inverse. Like we are very intentional about like going to HBCUs and looking right. for top talent there and going to these different rooms and looking for top talent, um, that just are overlooked, underfunded. Um, so yeah, it's more work for sure. It's easier to like have all this inbound and, you know, just invest in what you know but i think it's more fun like i think it's more fun to like really step out of your comfort zone like you know leave your assumptions at the door and just like look at these different communities areas industries um and that's like a big role in uh, rule in venture as well like you might have your opinion of like you know like a product let's say you know maybe many people saw facebook originally and said oh i would never use this like right. check writers but you got to really step outside that and say, okay, is this where user behavior is going? Do you think like mm-hmm. consumers would want to use this? Like, you got to you gotta um, go where you're uncomfortable sometimes. Well, with that though, so like since you're evaluating mostly Gen Z founders as well, like what is the biggest thing you're looking for? You know, right? Because it's yeah. to your point earlier, like obviously they're not coming to the table with 10 years of experience or whatever the case might be with totally. the background of the company. So what's the biggest thing that you typically look for when you're Yeah, investing? great question. Just to reiterate, not just looking for Gen Z founders, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, looking for all different founders of all different, you know, sizes, ages, like <laughs> everybody. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, yeah, like regardless, whoever you are founder wise, um, it is the same. Like we are looking for, um, you know, we want to, we want to, we're looking for market-defining companies, but I know that can be difficult, like because this is idea on napkin stage. So we want things right. that like can become that in the future. Mm. Um, that's connected to market size. Um, you know, I was just asked about this yesterday. Um, I think by the you know they were like, "What do you mean by market size?" Like every investor says we want massive markets. That's true. Like you know we want markets that are growing over time. Like, but the founder can clearly communicate like the insights or like this catalyst is going to lead to you know this growth over time. Like, like it all goes back to the story. Um, you know, the why now is really important to us as well. Like every investor operates differently, but we want things that like, you know, couldn't have been built like five years ago slash like we don't really care about first or I wouldn't say we don't care about first mover advantage. Like now, like there has to be a clear why now, like what's the catalyst for today? Mm-hmm. Like, and where do you see that going in the future? So um, that's how we view why now. And um, I'd say, yeah, oh, it's got to fit in with one of our themes and um yeah, there are other little things too. But for the most part, those are like the three things I want to leave listeners with of awesome. what we look for. Is there like a really exciting company you can tell us about, like maybe you recently invested in? Like you talked about the generative AI and the creator space. Any in particular that like is it really exciting right now? Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited about all like companies that, you know, we're looking at. I just always like, you know, get weird about this question because I want them to like make their own announcements. Like I want sure. them to talk about, you know, their companies. But I'd say like these spaces, I mean, are just... Um, like creator tech um, and like 
how it um, is really combining with generative AI. And I think the biggest uh, kind of like um, at least advice that I'd give to other investors and like something that I've really had to, um, you know, think about a lot specifically in generative AI is um, everybody's so excited about it right now. It is very exciting, but like still finding ways to hold a contrarian view um, when you can mm -hmm. about generative AI, I think um, is important. Meaning like we, we we're looking for generative AI, like we want to invest in it, but you know, we think that, um, or at least we're looking for companies that solve a specific use case, let's say, versus kind of like trying to do everything for everyone mm -hmm. where, you know, you got a lot of companies or investors that are all stoked about the latter and we think no specific use cases are going to win. Um, you know, we are, I think more investors are starting to say this too, but we were kind of one of the first or that any company built on top of chat GPT, like mm. it's okay to prove out an idea, but like, okay, how, how soon can you like build? It's not know. really defensible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm glad more people are starting to talk about that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think like when, when everyone is kind of, because we're all on VC Twitter, like, you know, we see like there's usually <laughs> oh, one yeah. common voice for a lot of these things. Yeah. <clears throat> like we still like, are bullish on the future of innovation and we're excited to invest in these um, ever-evolving spaces. But we want to make sure we're, you know, making the right bets, you know, making right. the right decisions and it's all backed by data. Um, so I think that's something I'll, I'll leave you guys with. Yeah, just a, just a quick random thought. I mean, do you think we're going to, I mean, like I was just reading an article the other day about like, there's like it, someone posted something on Instagram that was basically saying, hey, like none of these people are real. Like it was like two model looking type folks. Oh my God. I just saw that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, Scary. these are not real people, but we can create an entire Instagram profile with yeah. all these photos showing this amazing life, but they're, it's, it's all fake. Yeah. So you kind of see a future of uh, like content creators where you're just like manning the <laughs> machine behind the scenes, so to speak. And just maybe, yeah. Um, you know, that, that's not one that I would probably want, but um, yeah. if it's happening, it's happening, you know, like, and it, it clearly is. It could be the new drop shipping. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it does seem hey, like it. I mean, if you've ever been an awkward founder, like, that sounds like a dream to me. Yeah. yeah I, I guess. I mean, yeah, you know. And like a different face for your, you know, company or whatever yeah. it might be. Um, it's, it's creepy, but interesting at the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just no, I mean, we'll for sure see that happen. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, specifically with like, you know, content and, it's just, you know, information is just a currency now. And I spoke about this a lot, like, in a recent blog post I wrote on, like, this, my ideas of where the creator economy is going. But um, I'm just excited to see, like, more people, um, you know, find ways to, and that's a huge why now, you know, like, because of a lot of these layoffs and, you know, I think a lot of what the pandemic showed us, like, more people are pursuing their side interests and yeah. you know, maybe looking to build a stronger brand and voice online. Um, you know, I, I think that personal brand is super important because you never know, you know, what might happen and, um, and like what you might see as a stable career at one point, you know, you, you, it's the best way to start to build control over your own life and start to really build control over your own brand. So, um, any tool that really enables that and like helps that process, um, become a little more streamlined for creators is something I'm looking for and something that is in that, um, our creator tech platform for sure, which I'm really excited for, um, Chicago to learn a little bit more about Rivet. Ooh, so, okay. yeah. Martin, Dylan, if you haven't heard Landon's TEDx speech at Wrigley Field, he goes into the concept of, of identity capital, which you just said it very eloquently right there, and I really appreciate that. The other thing you touched on in that that really meant a lot to me was this the theme of not having to know exactly what it is you're going for. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that, because like, that, is, that is something that was missing from, from like 
me being in my 20s. Yeah. It was yeah. I think for find your passion and general, never work a day uh, yeah. That exactly. was one of the things I think you said you've seen a lot from your podcast in your in your 20s. Yeah. Um, I, I think like there's a lot of pressure either from family or just general society where like, you know, we, we see this person doing well, even though we're always comparing ourselves to the next in line too. Right. So it's just... It's sad that a lot of people like rush into these things, you know, assuming that, you know, it's going to make them happy and okay, like I hate this today. It's probably going to get better tomorrow, <laughs> but like, you know, it's not something that they're really passionate about. It's not something that they love. So I, I kind of think about it like you got to reverse engineer finding your passion. Like instead of trying to find a passion head on, you should start with like multiple interests, like try multiple things. That's what I did like through my 10 internships. Like I tried everything. I didn't just do sales. I spoke about three of them. Like I worked at a law firm. I worked at and retail, um, social media, I worked in finance, um, you know, I had a credit union, which was actually pretty fun, but not for me. Like I did freelance work. Like you, you start with interests. You start with just trying multiple things. Um, I was in student government, you know, I thought politics could be fun for a little bit, but that fucking is terrible. Um, <laughs> so you, you, you start with interests, you try multiple things. Um, and then sort of the interests that like, you become obsessed with. I'd say those are more like your passions. And obsession usually has a negative connotation, but how I view obsession, it's like, these are the interests that you love to do when they're fun. You want to keep doing them when they're fun. But then also, like, you continue them and, like, feel uh, accomplished after doing them when they're not so easy and, like, it's a challenge. And did you guys see that Jerry Seinfeld thing that just went viral on Twitter? The, the um, AI no, oh, I want to see that. That sounds super. I hope it wasn't AI, the one I'm talking about. <laughs> the no, the no, Twitch is, live stream 24 no, hour. Okay, no, 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 no. No, Jerry was interviewed by um, um, Stern. Uh, what's his name? Howard Stern. Howard Stern. And um, Jerry was pretty much saying, like, I, um, you know, like, I'm still thinking about material every single day. Like, Jerry Seinfeld is one of the biggest, you could argue, comedians. Like, he, yeah. he's still, he's treats, been doing it for forever. Yes. He treats every single day today like he's still, like, grinding in New York, like, yeah. still figuring it out. He said, like, he's obsessed with it. Like, he still goes over material. It's all you can think about all the time. And Howard Stern was all like, dude, that sounds terrible. <laughs> like, why would you ever want to put yourself through that? And Jerry, like, I'm going to misword it, but he literally said um, this beautiful quote where um, the, the true beauty in life lies in finding the things that are terrible that, like, you still enjoy doing, that you still want to yeah. do, that you still crave. And I think like that's a passion. So like back, I think with the podcast, you know, that I had and still have and will bring back, but creator burnout is real. Um, once you hit episode 110, <laughs> just FYI, fellas. Um, but that's an example where like not every day with that was amazing. Like, you yeah. know, a lot of days sucked, but like I still yeah. finished every day. Like, wow, like there's a greater impact here. Like I, yeah. um, I feel accomplished slash like I'm empowering like my listeners to mm. think differently about their lives. Like I got to keep doing this. And even what I do today, like, I'm obsessed with it, um, but that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean like I am, you know, not burnt out at times, but right. I still want to do it because I'm connected to this higher power of like really helping build the city here and like, you know, yeah. supporting early stage founders that need that support. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit of obsession slash like not just doing it for yourself too. Like there, there usually has to be like some greater in thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Landon, this has been super fun having you on the podcast. We'll need to have you back when you have some more huge news. In the meantime, yeah. where can people find you, read about you, get more information? Totally. Um, Landon20s, uh, 20S on Twitter and Instagram. My email is landon at drivecapital.com. 
um, you know, <laughs> I kind of hate myself sometimes for sharing it, but like also <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, you know, like why not? You know, send so. those pitches over. Yes. Yeah. Yes, send those exactly. pitches yeah. over. Um, you know, and if, because I do share my email, um, in public and live and, you know, I make sure it's always out there. Like if I don't respond and I try and be very responsive, like I try and have a 24 hour rule, but sometimes, you know, things go a little yeah. longer, um, than I'd want them to. Um, so yeah, if I don't like respond right away, just don't take offense to it. Just follow up like uh you know we're all adults here so um but yeah that, that's where to find me fantastic in the awesome. meantime we'll be pulling on your connections at cameo to get us an introduction to the island boys let's do it <laughs> <laughs> episode yeah, eight <laughs> amazing awesome guys all right thanks so much man.